Open your Bibles, if you've got them with you, to Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. And uh, the Peter, James, John and Jesus are returning after the transfiguration. So chapter, uh, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Morning, everyone. My name's Jared and I'm the pastor here at HWC. Great to have you with us. Um, It's a privilege to open God's word and preach it this morning. Uh, Here at High Wycombe, we're a Christ-centered Bible teaching church. And um, yeah, we always want to be focusing in on the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. So please join me as we pray to him now. Lord Jesus, we come to you with praise and thanksgiving. You are truly great and glorious. You rule over everything. You made everything. You are one with the Father and with the Spirit, and we praise you and thank you that we have the privilege of gathering this morning to uh, hear your word read and preached. Lord, grant that I would speak faithfully to you, and um, and we please pray. I also pray, Lord, that each and every one of us would uh, be made more like the Lord Jesus by the work of your Holy Spirit, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week uh, we saw Jesus on top of the Mount. Uh, of of transfiguration in blazingly bright glory. Uh, He was up the top of the mountain and his appearance was changed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes went so uh, bright. Yeah, and and God the Father, his voice came out of this, this cloud saying, listen to him, listen to Jesus. Jesus told Peter, James and John, uh, the three disciples who were with him at the time, that he was going to die and rise again as they were coming down the mountain. But they didn't really understand. Um, 
Today, uh, Jesus and these three, Peter, James, and John, met up with the disciples who'd stayed at the bottom. The, the nine guys who, who'd been down there continuing the ministry that Jesus had given them of uh, preaching and casting out demons. Uh, the passage this morning begins with an argument regarding the disciples' attempts to cast out a demon. And it ends with Jesus doing what no one else could, casting out the demon from this demon-possessed boy. Like the people back then, we live in a largely faithless generation. Uh, If you talk to people out and about, you might hear people say things like, I don't have your faith, I wish I could, or um, are you crazy, or (laughs) various other responses to uh, people people hearing that that we have faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Our world is largely a faithless uh, world. Uh, Many people don't know the Lord Jesus and don't have faith in him. So what does it look like to have faith in the midst of a, of a faithless generation? Uh, we're going to see the actions and responses of, of, um, to Jesus, of the crowd uh, and of the scribes, of the boy's father and of the disciples. And we're going to see how they and we desperately need the Lord Jesus. Uh, abstract faith in nothing or something arbitrary or merely in ourselves or positive thinking, or, or something like that, just kind of thinking, oh yeah, I've got faith in something, but not really knowing what that thing is, can't help us. It won't help us. It matters whom we put our faith in. Uh, we need to recognize our desperate need for Jesus, and come to him, asking him to be merciful to us. And we need to come as we are, um, and knowing that while we aren't perfect, the one that we trust the Lord Jesus is. So we begin by looking at what happened in today's account. When Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John, gets to the nine disciples, Mark tells us two things straight up. Firstly, there's a great crowd around them. Uh, Does that sound familiar to you if you've been following along with Mark? Just like Jesus had been drawing crowds uh, as he went about doing his ministry, so too did his disciples. Uh, People want to get close to Jesus. Uh, When he's up on the mountain, they're gathering around the disciples uh, because that's, I guess, as close as they can get to him. And secondly, Mark tells us the scribes were arguing with them. Uh, Those guys we've heard so much about who opposed Jesus and his disciples and his ministry, they're having an argy-bargy with the nine disciples. That's that's the situation that that we find ourselves in. And um, again, that's just like when Jesus was ministering um, at the bottom of the mountain the scribes would gather around and try and pick a fight. Um, and that's exactly what they're doing uh, this morning as we read, in, in, and that's in the context of trying to pick a fight with the disciples. And so there's this big argument taking place, and there's a crowd all around. And what a contrast it is. When you think about, they've just been on top of the mountain seeing Jesus' glory. Only very few people are there. Jesus, the three disciples who are with him, are Moses and Elijah, obviously God, the Father speaking from the, from the cloud. Now, we're here and there's a massive, massive crowd gathered. Um, And not only is there a crowd gathered, uh, there's a big, big dispute and argument going on. Um, And Mark tells us something else. He says that when all the crowd saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. So, once again, Jesus is surrounded by people who are amazed at him. Don't miss this. The, The people, they want to see Jesus. They want to get close to him. Uh, they, they want to be with him. They want to be near him. 
uh, they want to have the meet and greet. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to an event, but you know, usually it's like pay an extra thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars to meet and greet the person that you've come to see. They want to have the meet and greet with Jesus. They want to they want to get up close and personal with him. It seems a far cry from the argument that's that's been working its way through the crowds. It's like Jesus arrives, they've been having this massive argument, and all of a sudden they're all huddled around him, wanting to get close to him. But Jesus, not distracted from the issue at hand, asks, what are you arguing about with them? Uh, The them being the scribes. And it's at this point we're introduced to the father of the boy. The father speaks from the crowd saying, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. So there's a father and his son and his son is oppressed by demonic forces, by an evil spirit. And this evil spirit is doing horrific things to this boy, making his life horrible and no doubt his father's too. This father looks on helpless as his son is prevented from speaking, is thrown to the ground, foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. What an awful situation. I notice also that the father knew something of Jesus' power. He brought his son to Jesus, whom he addressed as teacher. He specifically says, I brought my son to you, to to Jesus. Um, uh, Obviously, Jesus had been up on the mountain. So, although this man had brought his son to Jesus, he couldn't get to Jesus at that point. His disciples were there, however. And so, with the disciples there, the father asks, uh, he asks Jesus' disciples to cast out the demon. But they couldn't do it. Uh, An exorcism is the name we use when referring to casting out demonic forces. To exorcise is to cast out the demonic So you could say the disciples' exercise routine wasn't working. (laughs) 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 And this, this appears to be the root of the altercation. It's something to do with the disciples trying to cast out this demon and not being able to do it. Uh, And in true scribe fashion, as we see time and again in Mark, they ridicule the disciples and presumably raise questions about their rabbi, Jesus. And it's understandable why there was this argument, isn't it? You think the disciples are trying to cast the demon out of the boy, but not being able to. The scribes are taunting them, mocking their rabbi, Jesus. And the crowd's everywhere. There's a whole big scene going on. And all the while, this father and his poor son is being oppressed by demons. It's absolute chaos when you look at that situation. Imagine imagine what it would have been like to be one of the people in the crowd, seeing all this going on. The yelling and the arguing and the, the boy on the ground. and the, It's just absolute chaos. But Jesus isn't worried. He isn't, he isn't uh, overwhelmed or, or worried by the chaos. No, he speaks with great clarity, identifying the problem at the root of all of this. He says in verse 19, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Isn't that interesting? Faithlessness. But but these people wanted the meet and greet, remember? These are the people who crowded around Jesus, swarming him as they saw him. 
And yet, this is a faithless generation, an unbelieving generation. Faithlessness is the problem that underlies all of the issues in this passage. And we see the faithlessness of the scribes who don't believe in Jesus. They want to discredit him. And they want to do that with their actions and their words. We see the faithlessness of the crowds who are more about what Jesus can do for, for them than about Jesus himself. We see the faithlessness of the father who questions Jesus' ability to help him. And finally, we see the faithlessness of the disciples who believe in themselves that they can cast out the demon but fail to rely on God in prayer. So faithlessness, unbelief is what that word means, is the underlying problem with all of the people in this story. And faithlessness, unbelief, is the underlying problem in all of our hearts. Naturally, we don't trust God. We question him. We think more about what he can do for us than wanting, to, wanting him himself. And we put our trust in ourselves and our own strength. And we're going to keep working through this passage and particularly having a look at uh, what the father's, uh, the father, the boy, the, the father of the boy and, um, and the disciples and, and what we can learn from their responses to Jesus. So in response to Jesus calling for the boy to be brought to him, uh, the people listen. They bring this, this, this son to, to, to Jesus. And as we've seen before, the evil forces come to the fore in the blazing glory of the presence of the King Jesus. The evil spirit sees Jesus and immediately convulses the boy, shaking him around and throwing him to the floor, where he rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Just like the boy's father had described, here the boy was being tormented by this evil spirit. Jesus arrives and these things are just exposed by his blazing light. Uh, Jesus asked the boy's father how long this had been happening to him. Uh, notice that uh, this, this wasn't the boy's fault. Jesus asked how long this has been happening to him. Uh, he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't the one doing this. This was actually a spiritual attack um, by an evil spirit. The father answers Jesus' question by saying, from childhood. And you can imagine the devastation this would cause this man. His poor son, oppressed in this way by the demonic since he was very small, just an infant. This boy had been impressed by the demonic throughout his life. And that included throwing him into fire and water to try to kill him. This wasn't an insignificant problem. This was truly awful. This poor boy lived under threat and oppression of the demonic, uh, where his life was in danger constantly. And his family grieved watching him suffer like this. The boy's father had lived with and no doubt tried to help his son on numerous occasions to no avail. And this father had come looking for Jesus to help him, to help his son. But instead, he found himself with Jesus' disciples who failed to cast the spirit out. And then he found himself in the midst of an argument between the scribes and the disciples and the crowds. All the while, the crowds looking on and swarming. The crowd couldn't help him. The scribes couldn't help him. Even the disciples couldn't help him. And so he says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. The boy's father had doubted Jesus' ability to do something. No one else had been able to help him and his son. So he asked Jesus to help if he could. 
Jesus' words correct him. Uh, If you can was not the right thing to say. Of course, Jesus can. He's God himself come in the flesh. He's the almighty one. Yes, the scribes couldn't help. Yes, the crowds couldn't help. Yes, even the disciples couldn't help. But this is Jesus we're talking about. The eternal son of God. The one who made and rules over all creation. He's in a league of his own. There's no if you cans with Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. He is God. Jesus' words here about all things being possible for the one who believes are not meant to be ripped out of context or used to say that we can do anything just as long as we have enough self-belief or we can overcome any obstacle as long as we believe in ourselves enough. No, all things are possible for Jesus. And so for the one who believes in Jesus, all things are possible. It doesn't mean the one who believes in Jesus will always have a good life or have all power to do all things that we want. No, rather, by trusting in Jesus, we're trusting in the one who can do all things and has all power. And so they become possible. Uh, For the boy's father, the healing of his son seemed impossible. And while this is impossible with man, none of us could do that uh, to, to cast him out. None of them could do it either. With God, everything is possible. It doesn't, however, mean that God will always give us the desires of our heart. Often things work out here not exactly the way we wanted. Uh, We may pray for healing and the person isn't healed, for example. Uh, Christians still suffer terrible illnesses and persecutions and deaths. But all things are possible for Jesus. So when we come to him in faith, we're coming trusting in the only one who can provide healing and, and restoration. And we're resting upon him and his compassion and mercy. You notice that the father didn't doubt Jesus' compassion and mercy. Uh, He doubted his ability, which was wrong, but he didn't doubt his compassion and mercy. And that's right. We, We must never doubt Jesus' compassion and mercy. All things are possible, but not all things are guaranteed. Uh, We we don't know the complete depths of God's plan and certain things here and now remain a mystery to us. And we won't know exactly why God healed some and didn't heal others. But we do know that God is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's a covenant forever love that he has. And we also know that for all God's people, there's a hope that goes beyond this life, that one day we will be with Jesus in the new creation. And there, there will be no sickness no sadness, no suffering. How does the boy's father respond to Jesus' correction? This man responds with beautiful honesty. I'm just going to have a sip of water. I believe, help my unbelief. The faithless father believes. He puts his trust in Jesus and asks Jesus to help him trust him. I believe, help my unbelief. I trust you, Jesus, help my untrust of you. I put my faith in you, Jesus, help my faithlessness. The boy's father comes to Jesus weak and doubting as he was, asking for mercy and acknowledging his desperate need of Jesus. And it's beautiful, isn't it? 
acknowledging his desperate need for Jesus and coming to him saying, I trust you, help my untrust of you. He recognizes that he's dependent upon Jesus for his trust in Jesus. So what happens next? Well, Jesus, in his compassion and mercy, rebukes the unclean spirit, commanding it to come out of the boy and never enter him again. Jesus is gracious. This man's faith isn't perfect, but the one he had faith in, Jesus, he is perfect. Uh, The impact upon this boy is so amazing and the contrast is so stark that the people think that he's dead. He becomes like a corpse. Imagine the one who'd been rolling around and foaming at the mouth and grinding his teeth, going dead still. It's no wonder the majority of the people thought that he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Jesus rescued this boy from the demonic. um, And it's interesting that the imagery appears to be that of dying and then rising. And if this sounds familiar, I'm glad, (laughs) because it is. This account is bracketed either side by Jesus prophesying his own dying and rising. You see, because Jesus died and because he rose again, he defeated sin, death and the devil. And so Jesus has broken the powers of darkness and evil forces once and for all. While there remains a battle going on, as Satan and his allies try to rage against God, their future is set Jesus has won the war. He died on the cross. He exposed all of their evil and defeated it and rose victorious, destroying their power. And now for all people who are in Christ Jesus, we are united to him in his death and in his resurrection. For all who believe, our old self is dead and we've been made alive in Christ, made into new creations. There's so much that we can learn from this man's response to Jesus. Three things I want to mention, though. Firstly, come to Jesus as you are. Come to Jesus as you are. And we might think that we need to brush ourselves up or become a better person or do some good things and get some runs on the board before we can come to Jesus. But really what we need to do is come to Jesus as we are. Warts and all, as the saying goes. Jesus is not in the business of saving perfect people. Not that there are any out there anyway. No, Jesus saves sinners. So come to him as such. Come to him ready to receive the gift that he's offering of salvation in him. We all desperately need that. There's no point trying to brush ourselves up and and make ourselves look better than than we are. We just need to come to Jesus as we are, acknowledging our sin Secondly, come to Jesus acknowledging our helplessness and trust him. Uh, This faithless generation we find ourselves in often thinks it doesn't need anything from God. It thinks everything is good here. Um, Maybe you feel that way. If I need help, then I help myself. Uh, But that's an illusion. Uh, Before God, we're all helpless and the things of this world will not last. Uh, We can't give anything in exchange for our souls. We can't buy our own salvation. Uh, We could gain everything in the entire world and it would mean nothing. We wouldn't be able to, to buy our freedom, buy our salvation. No. The only way out of our rebellion is that Jesus has bought us with his blood. So we need to come to him 
helpless and trusting, trusting him to do what we can't do ourselves. Thirdly, we need to recognize that while we often have doubts and aren't perfect in having faith, if we trust in Jesus, then the one that we are trusting in is perfect. And he's more than able to make up for all of our deficiencies. That's why he went to the cross, to die the death we deserved in our place, to give us the life we don't deserve forever. Be reconciled to God. To do so, we must admit that we're rebels deserving God's judgment. And we must turn to Jesus and trust him as saviour. I know from time to time when you talk to people, they might think, I can't go to church, I'm not good enough. Maybe I need to sort a few things out in my life. This is a gathering of sinful people, um, all in desperate need of the Lord Jesus. Uh, So if someone says to you, I'm not good enough, though this is the perfect place for them to be because none of us are good enough. But in Jesus can be saved and made new. The final thing that I want us to note in today's passage is the response of the disciples. After watching their and our rabbi and Lord, the Lord Jesus, do what was to them impossible and us impossible, they ask him in private. Um, I love that we have these conversations recorded for us in God's word, telling us what these conversations happened in private. And they ask him, why could we not cast it out? They still didn't get it. They had a lot of self-belief. They really thought that they could cast out this demon, but they couldn't. And Jesus tells them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And this statement from Jesus teaches us at least three big truths that I want us to think about. Firstly, it reveals that the disciples had tried to cast out this demon in their own strength. The faithlessness that they exhibited was that of trying to go it on their own. They had faith in themselves that they could do it. But that's misguided, misplaced faith. Our world tells us to believe in ourselves. I'm sure you've heard that, but that's not the solution. There are even some churches out there that promote a kind of just mustering up enough faith so that you can live a life of prosperity, but that's also not the solution. The disciples had faith in themselves, but still showed faithlessness. It matters whom we put our faith in, whom we put our trust in. Putting our trust in ourselves is not going to help. We need to put our trust in Jesus. The disciples were trying to minister, but without depending upon the Lord for his help. It's another kind of unbelief uh, to think in a practical sense that we can go it alone. And we each need to examine our hearts when we've done this to confess it and repent of it and trust in Jesus. And if you've seen on those airplane videos, maybe you haven't been on a plane in a while because of COVID and so on, um, but they have those masks and you have to put the mask on and they say, you know, these, these, these yellow, ma- I think they're yellow, I'm colorblind, it could be green. They drop from, from, from the sky and, and they say, you need to put the mask on before you try and help someone else put their mask on. So if, if, if you don't do that, you'll bar- pass out and probably die. Um, and then you're of no use to helping others. Um, we must come to Jesus ourselves and, and depend upon him not just thinking this is for some, someone else, that they need to depend on Jesus. No, each of us needs to depend on Jesus in everything. And so we need to put our masks on. Um, and I mean that in the sense of 
be connected to the Lord Jesus so that you can help others as well. Secondly, while it's necessary for the disciples to pray in order to cast this demon out, it's not necessary for Jesus to pray. Why? Because he's God. Jesus has all power and he can do what is impossible for everyone else and he can do it by just speaking. Um, that's how he made the world uh, and, 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 and he rules it and he can do whatever he, whatever he wants. He can truly do anything. Jesus does say that this kind won't come out by anything but prayer. And so it's worth noting that the boy's father, in a sense, prayed. Do you see that? He asked Jesus for help in his time of need. And Jesus answered his prayer. Uh, Which brings us to our final point. Thirdly, prayer is of utmost importance. God answers our prayers. Not always the way we want. Not, not according to our plans, uh, but according to his. But he does answer our prayers. And because God can do anything, when we ask him for help, it's possible. It's not guaranteed, but it is possible because he can do anything. So pray to Jesus. Ask him for his help. First and foremost, ask for forgiveness of sins. And then continue depend to depend on him. Uh, daily in prayer. As we desperately need to, to depend on God in prayer every day. Uh, we're not talking to thin air. Uh, we, we're talking to the creator of the universe. The kind and compassionate creator who loves us and who alone can save us. Uh, at times, God in his great mercy does grant believers healing. But this isn't guaranteed in this life but it is in the life to come for all who believe in Jesus. So let's not try to go it alone, but rather depend upon and trust our Lord Jesus in prayer every single day, knowing that he loves us, knowing that he cares for us, and knowing that he has prepared a place for us forever. Maybe you're feeling this morning a bit like that man, thinking, can I pray? I believe, help my unbelief. And the answer is a resounding yes. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a great way of coming to the Lord Jesus. Um, and and, and, and we, when we recognize that the faith that we have in him is a gift from God, it makes perfect sense. Come to Jesus as you are and, and put your trust in him. Our trust won't be perfect, but the one we're trusting is. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, We believe. Help our unbelief. Have mercy on us, we pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious and compassionate God who loves us and can do anything. We thank you that we see your compassion in how you cared for that man and for his son. Lord, we praise you and thank you. We thank you for your compassion and how you have provided for our salvation by going to the cross, Lord Jesus, in our place. Lord, you are truly kind and gracious and loving. We could never comprehend fully uh, your love for us, and we, we just praise you and thank you that you have revealed it to us. Help us to know you, Lord, more. And uh, thank you, Lord, for, for your grace to us. Help us, Lord, to depend on you in prayer every day. Put it in our hearts and our minds to pray to you each and every day and to recognize that we're completely dependent upon you in everything. Lord, when we feel doubts or concerns or worries, help us to remember that you make up for all of our deficiencies, even in our faith. 
And we thank you for this, Lord. Um, and we thank you that this is true for all who believe in you. And so we put our trust in you in Jesus' name. Amen.